Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Words of wisdom for life's dilemmas. Yes, and as I said earlier today, this is kind of a two-part inside of the series itself. Today is Wealth and Poverty, and next week we'll dive in a little bit more on the generosity and greed side of things. You know, generosity always comes with a brother, and it's called stewardship. It takes two legs to walk forward in life, and you have to do both of those. We'll hit on that next week, but uh, this week is wealth. Wealth, 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 and poverty. Let me tell you, how do you view wealth? A lot of times it depends on maybe how you were raised or what you grew up under. If you came from poverty or middle class, maybe you came from great affluence, a lot of wealth in your life. I don't know. Um, You know, some people who grew up in the Great Depression, uh, if you had grandparents or something that went through that, and uh, maybe they were just extremely, extremely poor. I know my mom came out of the Dust Bowl and all that, and... um, and they were just dirt poor. They were about as poor as you could get. I mean, 10 kids in their family, and it was a baked potato for dinner would be a good meal. And uh, it was rough. And, uh, but then, you know, people like that grew up under those circumstances and later on maybe had lots of money and lots of wealth. Um, and they're still washing their Ziploc bags and hanging them up to dry. You know, I mean, if you ever, you may know what I'm talking about out there. You met people like that. You know, they won't pay 10 cents more for that can of soup. They said, no way, that's, no, I'm not paying that. We're going to Anchorage. I'm going to find over that deal is. So they'll spend a tank of gas to save a dime. You know, stuff like that. It doesn't make sense. None of that makes sense. But, you know, what, what, you, what grid would you grow up under? What kind of, um, you know, some people say, man, we were so poor, you know, we got married just so we can keep the rice the people threw at us, you know? I mean, they were desperate. I know that was pretty lame, but... Uh, you know, there's this one lady, though, she lived, she was very poor, and she lived on the other side of the railroad tracks, poor side of town. And uh, every morning, though, she, she was rich in faith. You know, she was, she just would step on her front porch, and she would loudly proclaim and thank God for everything he's provided for her and all that stuff, and just go on and on. And her neighbor was so irritated, he could not stand her listening to her, because he was an atheist. And finally, when she's done, he'd always fire back, hey, your God ain't providing you with nothing. And that kind of went on and on. So one day, she didn't have any food, so she comes back out on her porch, and she starts thanking God, and then she says, well, Lord, I do need some food today. I'm out of food. And, and so she's asking God to provide, asking God for help. Her neighbor secretly overheard her. So he had a plan. He went and bought, bought a bag of groceries and stuck it on her front porch. Well, the next day, she goes out there, and there's groceries. And she just starts praising God. Oh, God, I thank you. I knew that you would, you would provide. I just knew that you would help me. And his neighbor yelled back, says, ha, ha, that was me who got you those groceries. Your God don't provide you with nothing. That was me who did that. And then she even got louder, and she, and she answered back, and she says, oh, praise God. God, you're amazing. Not only do you provide me with some food, but you got the devil to pay for it, too. <laughs> now, that's wealth in your soul, right? That's... That's the kind of wealth that you're living under, right? The hand blessing of God and getting the devil to do stuff that, you know, pretty, God is, you just can't outsmart God. How many know that? What is wealth? Well, God has an answer for that. 
Again, we're in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. What is the blessing of the Lord? Is finance part of it? Well, sure, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week on how to handle what God places as stewards. But you obviously want to live under the blessing of the Lord because when you're living under God's blessing, it's going to be a whole lot more than dollars and cents. How many know that? There's ways that he will bless you richly in your soul that you can't put a dollar price on. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, though, you honor the Lord with your wealth, you know, you're talking about tithes, offerings, and all that stuff, being good stewards. It says, and with the best part uh, of everything that you produce, you don't know, give God your leftovers, you give him the first part. Honor him first. It says, then he'll fill your barns and your, and with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. So there is the provision side that you want to live under God, and and uh, that's part of the big picture as well. God is multifaceted. I mean, he will bless us in so many ways. You've probably, many of you probably learned that and discovered that, what God can do. It's just, it's just amazing. He, he is so incredibly uh, creative in how he takes care of us. But how do you know what wealth is? Um, now, Hollywood would show you one way. We've probably seen the show Rich and Famous and all that stuff. But the Bible seems to give us something a little bit different than what the world would present. Money may be a part of the equation, I get that, but it's not the only part. You know, when you get a key, that key has many cuts in it. One of those cuts might be money, but the other cuts are other things that are in that key, the key to life, that when you insert it into that door, it's going to unlock some things. And for us to move into our future and fulfill what God has for us and to unlock some things, it's not just all about money. There's a lot of cuts in that key that we need to understand. Otherwise, if you're looking for just one cut, which is money, then you're going to have an unbalanced life, and the slightest little thing can knock you off. Now, someone were, wanted to decide to lift weights, and they said, I'm really going to get into this weightlifting stuff, and they just started exercising their arms. You got big old arms, and then their legs are still skinny because they haven't done anything with that. That's an unbalanced life. Uh, their legs look proportionately uh, out of proportion compared to the rest of the body. You got a problem there. And I think money, people think that's the only measure of wealth, and then you're going to have unbalanced, you can call it a one-dimensional life. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that do live in a one-dimensional life. They become vulnerable over time. Anything can tip them over. Maybe strong in finance, but you could be weak in relationship, weak in marriage, weak in faith, love, character. Man, you can't bypass character. If you will make the effort to invest in character as first and foremost in your relationship with God, I'm telling you what, everything else, everything else will grow in proportion. Do you know that your character is what's going to sustain what you get in the future? You can't bypass character. That's the only thing you're taking to heaven other than relationships. And the character that God is working into your life, he's doing it so that later on you can sustain and hold and support what he puts in your lap. That's why people who get a lot of wealth too early don't have the character to support it. It destroys their life. We were just talking after the church this morning in the foyer and somebody brought up the, how many, the percentage, the high percentage of lives that they get destroyed who win the, lot, the lottery. It's extremely high because they don't have the characters to sustain it. They don't have the ability to deal with it. It's premature. 
they've been living on a one-dimensional life. There's so much more that God wants to build into our lives in our, other than just wealth when it comes to money. Now, um, the first step, I believe, when we're dealing with wealth is accurately defining wealth. We need to accurately define wealth. And it's not just accumulation of money, as I said. It, it does include that. That's part of it. That's only a small part. But really, this message is probably really about learning to live right. You have to build the foundation before you move into, really, when it comes to dealing with money at a greater level. Uh, but if you build the foundation, uh, you can unlock those dreams. You can move into your future and tackle it. Now, if we get the wrong definition for wealth, if that's our target and it's all about money, then we're probably going to miss the true target that we're supposed to be after. And it could take a lot of people a lot of years to get back on track if they've been chasing the wrong thing. It's more than money. Look what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 and 15 says. It says, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is far more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her or compare with her. You know, the prophet Haggai had to address God spoke through the prophet to address the Israelites. They were not honoring their relationship with the Lord. They had a lot of idolatry in their life and weren't honoring the Lord with the first fruits when it comes to offerings, tithe, all that stuff, you know, the finance. And, and the prophet finally spoke up in Haggai chapter 1 and he said this, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. That's depressing. They're trying to do everything they can to amass wealth and provision, yet everything is draining out somewhere. You ever felt like that? Man, where does it all go? That's kind of what they're all standing around. Where did it all go? And finally, the prophet steps up and says, you need to prioritize the Lord in your life and some of the things that he's called you to address so that when you work hard, you'll produce a fruit. You know, there's something about provision and wealth that's gained over time that's like a farmer that sows seed into the ground. If he's going to grow the crop, it takes a season to do it. And it takes the roots to go down and you cultivate, you fertilize, and you water. Before fruit happens, Fruit takes time, good, delicious, ripe fruit that will satisfy many over time. But you have to pay attention to the basics, the foundational principles in life. These people weren't doing that when it came to their definition to, or their relationship with the Lord. So we've got to accurately define wealth. Wealth includes more than just money, although that's part of it shouldn't be your first priority. You can have all kinds of money and still live in poverty of spirit, poverty in your soul. That's what Haggai was actually addressing in this people. They had a poverty in spirit and soul. They were empty in their soul. 
Money's what you serve, and it becomes this God with the little G. And everything you do in life will be manipulated by this little God, the little G. All your decisions will be hinged on that right there, your dedication to that instead of by God himself. What happens, and that happens to a lot of things in our life, something gets between us and God, and it has a little G, and you've got to come to the place where you identify it, grab it, and pull it down, and put it under your feet, and say, nothing will be between me and God, because that has been dictating my every decision. It's caused my sole focus in life, and if it's not God, then you know something's wrong there. There's a prioritizing that we have to do at times in our life, a reprioritizing. Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Your treasure is with God. That's where your desire is going to be, to honor him first. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 says, choose my instruction rather than silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Money is what you treasure, then it becomes that false god. There's a saying out there. Some people think this. I think a lot. If they just have more money, you know, then their marriage would be good. You know, the kids would be happy. You know, everything would be better. I'd have more joy in my life. That's a fantasy. Uh, money can't dictate everything like that. If it does, then something's way out of whack. I know that money is issues are one of the top concerns and. Um, reasons for separation, divorce, and all that stuff in marriage, but it's not the money, it's the stewardship of it. It's the mismanagement of it. It's the wrong prioritizing of it. So money isn't always the answer to everything. Maybe part of the answer, but the first priority you have to address. What is true wealth? Well, my relationship with God, it's got to begin there. There's a Russian proverb out there. All that glitters is not gold. Maybe we should say all, uh, everything that's gold is not glitter, right? Um, and we've all heard of testimonies of people, but their marriages have been healed. I mean, they speak through tears, through great emotion, how they've been delivered from things and addictions and how God rescued their life and saved them. You know what they're talking about? What they're saying is, I was once poverty stricken in my soul. And God has brought me great wealth in what he has delivered me from or healed me from. You can't put a price tag on that kind of stuff. That is wealth at its highest. Can't touch it with a gold coin. Testimonies are powerful. That's great wealth. That kind of change. Life transformed. True wealth. So what is wealth to you? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a genuine love in your marriage. Maybe it's friendships or uh, leaving uh, nothing unresolved. Maybe it's where you can lay your head down at night and, and have a clear conscience. Maybe it's honesty, a pure heart. Maybe it's just every day to you, it's just, you know, I've got to that place where I'm living my faith out with Jesus every day. It's happening. Uh, it's got to be in a balanced way when money's a part of it. Um, there's a lot of people who look for signs of wealth. It can be so deceptive. Proverbs 1, or 13, verse 7 says, Some who are poor pretend to be rich, and others who are rich pretend to be poor. Now, some think true wealth is collecting stamps and coins or whatever. Some say, no, it's collecting friends. It's about relationship. 
So we got to be careful what, what we're talking about, where we're putting our focus. How do you decide what wealth is? Well, here, let's put this up there. Decide what you treasure and what's not up for sale. Because, man, people are putting all kinds of things up for sale in their life that they shouldn't. Everything's up for grabs. We got to be careful there. We got to decide, what is my treasure? Do I treasure morality, honesty, love, faith, relationships? It's really important to decide what your treasure is because that's going to determine what's going to rule your heart and what you're going to put up for sale. I said that passage again for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If your treasure is leisure, then you're going to try to get out of work. If your treasure is food, then you're going to want to eat all the time. <laughs> if your treasure is marriage, you're probably going to put a lot of effort into that. Proverbs 10.4 says, wise people treasure knowledge. So we got to be careful what we treasure because that is where your heart will be. Otherwise, our marriage and our character, our family, things that are really important go up for sale. We're willing to barter them off for a quick buck. We need to decide early on what's for sale, what isn't. You know, we preached through Job, I don't know, a while ago, but uh, it's an incredible story because th there's so much in Job and that character that you can pull out. And you know the story, if you read through it, he was doing quite well. He's a man after God's heart, I believe. He loved the Lord and did whatever he could to serve the Lord faithfully, even for his own children. Children are not partying, he's, he's making sacrifices for them. And yet, tragedy strikes, he loses everything. I mean, incredible distress and calamity. You know, he loses his wealth, he loses his family, he loses everything. And he's sitting in ashes, he's scraping his, bo his boils with pottery, and it's just unbelievable. He's just reduced to ashes. But there's something about this guy that I marvel at, because he refused to malign God. He refused to get upset. You know how hard that is. We have the smallest thing happen to us. And if we're having a bad day, we get all ticked off at God. God, why'd you let that happen? And we're all like sour. And then we finally snap out of it. Oh, geez, what am I thinking, man? I actually got it pretty good. But Job really had it bad. Yet he refused to get mad at God somehow. Somehow he did that. His wife was even disgusted with him. Job 2, she says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? I mean, no, the integrity is wealth. He would not let that go. Job's standing there, he says, this may be the only thing i got left is my integrity. I, that is everything to me right now. You can't put a dollar on that. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? So on all of this, and I marvel at this, Job said nothing wrong. Why is that so powerful? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Job, you see right there, he treasured God in his heart. He didn't have any little G's out there floating around that determined how he was going to speak or say or do or how he was going to handle his next dilemma. It was just... I can't speak against God. 
because he's God. And he treasured God. And, well, you know how the story ends. God ultimately rewards him. I mean, yeah, he lost his kids and family, and that's incredibly painful. And he probably lived with that pain till his grave. But he did get a new family, and he got his health back, and he got double the portion of money, and he just, God just richly blessed him. Very affluent. Because he first treasured on the inside what was truly important. He, you're talking about character and honesty and integrity, your relationship with God, and, and the disciplines, the resolve, the building blocks of a successful life. That's what truly unlocks futures. Remember this, we will have a one-dimensional life if we just treasure money above anything else, and that becomes our first priority. We must define wealth accurately. The second thing I think we should do is we need to build slowly. Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but the Bible talks a lot about when it comes to stewardship. You know, we talk about, you know, Putting a little aside, savings, you probably learn the principles of compounding interest and all the things that can happen over time, leveraging all of that. But that requires discipline over time. Boy, you can't sacrifice that. It's a slow process. But it's line upon line, precept upon precept that you find in the scriptures that there's no quick fix. There's no quick Lottery roll, in most cases, get quick rich schemes are a fleeting fantasy, and it's over time. I remember years back when we used to do family camp. We would uh, have a time during our family camp where we would you know, do activities and stuff, and we had some competition. And so the, we would form teams, and we would have a relay. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was complete, utter chaos, and and fun, and laughter, and, and we would go from station to station, and you had to do different things, like everybody had to pile in a canoe, and race across the lake, and back, you know, or around obstacle, then you had to, like, break water balloons with slingshots, each person taking a turn, and then you had to, like, eat something with your hands tied behind your back, and it was usually really disgusting, and, and uh, then you had to fill up, fill up a bucket from the lake with a sponge back and forth, you know, just crazy stuff, but it was all about speed, and the team that finished first was the team that won. But there's a catch, because each team had a team monitor, and the team monitor would follow you around, make sure you did everything correctly, that you didn't cheat, that you didn't cut corners, and that you picked up your flag at each station. A lot of fun, but a lot of chaos, and it was easy to miss something or even kind of try to cheat and hurry up and get done, because you're just in this mad rush to get across the finish line, and you might come in first. But all of a sudden, the team monitor steps up and says, well, you got to dock you two minutes here and three minutes here and five minutes here. You forgot your flag over here. So we get and pretty soon, somebody who was in first place could be all of a sudden in fourth place or even last because you messed up because you're in a hurry. You got to complete the stations correctly. It's kind of like it is in life. You know, you, sometimes cutting corners in life causes you to lose time in the long run. And your goal, your goal is not speed. You'll, you'll be tempted to cut quarters, but it takes, you know, it takes time to develop the disciplines over time. When you're dealing with the real life issues that take time to build, like character and integrity and all these other things. You know, those people who learn to play an instrument, 
the really good ones, like got Kara, Kara up here, you know, she can run up and down the keyboards, you know, and you get some of these guys that can rip out these notes on the guitar like nothing. That didn't happen overnight. That happened because of years of experience and practice, line upon line, precept upon precept, slow, methodical maneuvers, learning notes, finger positions, and all of that stuff. And it was slow, and it was week after week. But because of the exercising of that ability, they now can play with speed. Can play really good. Speed's actually a byproduct of the result of the slow, correct practices over the years. It's a lot like building wealth. You know, Proverbs 20, 21 says, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Life is like, you know, taking time to learn an instrument in a sense. You have to build the disciplines slowly over time. But discipline does lead to delight in some time. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to the advice and accept discipline so that you may be wise the rest of your life. Accepting discipline brings you wisdom in the long run. Obeying God doesn't cost you time, actually. It saves you time in the long run. We're told, told, told a lot of times, boy, you see a lot of this, people advertising their little seminars and stuff, you know, the a quick way to take some quick way to achieve your dreams and let me tell you most of that's just flat out deception live your life according to what's in the scriptures and you'll find that it's over time and it's sowing of the seed and it's cultivating and it's a process that can't be rushed my dad once told me and I'll never forget this I don't remember what I was working on, but I must have been doing a really bad job at it. But he said, look, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it again? I thought, man, that's good. Wow, where did you get that? <laughs> I mean, no, that's true. How many have gone after over a couple more repeated sessions of something that you didn't take the time to do the right first time? How many of you had to throw good money after bad? Because you didn't do it right the first time. It was a waste. You tried to cut some corners. Man, I've done that. Oh, it's so frustrating. You're like, if I would have just done this right the first time, I'd be saving myself money now. Cutting corners. You know, back in 1999, the movie The Matrix came out. Anybody seen The Matrix? You know, They got like three or four or six Matrix. I don't know how they got now. They got a lot. Anyway, it's an interesting movie because they got this all-powerful machine that creates this illusionary world where people are going to live in, in the imaginary life. They're just kind of hooked up to a machine and nothing's really real. They're just living this life of imaginary, you know, world type stuff. And it's all fake, but the Matrix wants to utilize this. It likes this whole setup because it can enslave people and control people's thoughts in the way that they live. Kind of like what the devil wants to do with people today. Live in this imaginary world. But just kind of go with your senses. And feels good, go over here and do that. And whatever, because it really doesn't matter, you know. And, and it, it totally discounts eternity. And living for the eternal. And what's right. And what's building today not only affects you for today and the generations to come, but for eternity. Oh, devil, don't, he don't want you to believe that. He wants you to kind of swallow the blue pill. Just all just kind of have, you know, it's all imaginary. 
And people become satisfied by living this way in the movie, even though it's not real. They like it. Then one of the heroes of the movie, his name is Nero, Neo, and the choices are given to take this blue pill or the red pill. You probably heard about people talking about it in politics today. We need the red pill, people. We need to get them in reality. We need to help them expose really what's going on. And there's a lot of truth to that. <clears throat> it's kind of like people say, well, you know, there's not a devil under every rock. And I know that, although there probably is, but anyway. <clears throat> but the blue pill creates this happy ever after illusion, right? The red pill allows you to take, take uh, the taker to see the troublesome but true reality of life. And maybe people choose the blue pill because, you know, they'd rather live a life of happy illusion. They weren't really um, there, but their senses, their sensations were there. It's this imaginary world where whatever you wanted to be, you could become. It's not the real eternal, not real in the eternal ways, just real in cyberspace. So the red pill puts you in the reality. And there's this guy named Epoch, and he's been in the real world for about a decade, and he's getting kind of tired of it. And there's this vivid scene where Neo and Epoch, they're at dinner, and this guy comes in, sets down the plate, pulls off the lid. There's two pills, red pill, black, and red pill, and the blue pill. And uh, Epoch says, you know, if I take the red pill, I'll stay in what's reality. But you know, I've always wanted to be a movie star. I've always wanted people to like me, and I've always wanted to be rich and famous. So he takes the blue pill. He says, you know what? It's all imaginary, but ignorance is bliss, and off he goes. So many living like that today. Because we have a choice in, in life in, to live in truth, take the red pill or the blue pill. The blue pill may be fine for this life, but it's more imaginary. It doesn't hold anything in the life to come. It doesn't give us massive eternal results, but the red one will. And we have to choose every day, actually, which one we're going to take and where we're going to walk and where we're going to live. It's a reflection of the real life. It's like accepting the blood of Jesus Christ and coming under his leadership and walking out that relationship serving him. That's like taking the red pill it may take more effort and courage to be a part of that reality, but it's God's way, and it's really ultimately how you build true wealth, is living in the reality, what God's called us to. Line upon line, precept upon precept, discipline after discipline over time. It's not an illusion that's going to pass away. While the world, see, takes care of number one, the Bible says, follow Jesus. So we need to accurately define wealth and build slowly. Here's the next thing we need to do. Invest in what will bring wealth. Invest in what's going to bring wealth. Proverbs 10, 15 says this, Wise words are more valuable than gold, much gold, and many rubies. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Boy, here's a stark warning. It says, people who long to get rich, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires and plunge them into ruin and destruction. There are those who've pursued wealth, see it a lot, who have literally worked themselves to death. Uh, they amass personal fortune and get a heart attack 
Gosh, I've seen that so many times where people just work, work, work. Finally got everything they need so they can stop and do nothing. And then they have a heart attack and they're gone. It's like you're not designed for that. Uh, health must always be a priority. Let me tell you, workaholics are not heroes. Proverbs 23, 4 says this. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Boy, that's good. There's so many people who have worked themselves to death to afford things that they really don't need. Health should always take a priority over wealth. Families get hurt all the time in pursuit of wealth. Not just physical health, health of marriages, health of families. People pursuing things so they can buy their kids stuff so their kids will be happy and have everything. And, and uh, in the process, their kids are being ignored when the kids are really just wanting to be, their, be with their parents. They'd much rather have them, their time. Much rather have that. Here's the deal. Let me put this statement up there. We can get so busy making a living that we can forget to make a life. That's true wealth, isn't it? Make a life. Make a life. There's so much more to it. The pursuit of wealth will always challenge our spiritual life. It's always going to be a challenge. You always have to reprioritize and make sure your priorities are in the right place. There's a balance. Put it this way, as long as my spiritual growth is progressing at the same level as my financial prosperity, then go for it. Make all the money you can. Does that make sense? Look at 3 John chapter 2. I don't have it up there, but oh, you did put it up there. Thank you. I forgot to put that in the list, but anyway, it says this. My friends, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. It's like saying, man, I hope that your finances and every other part of your body in the physical realm is as healthy as your spirit is. Is your soul prospering as much as you are in the physical arena? That's so important. Let's have the worship team come out. God wants us to be in balance. If your income were at the same degree as your walk with the Lord, would you be a millionaire or would you be in poverty or would you be somewhere in between? You know, a lot of people do make financial goals, but in the same way, are we making spiritual goals as well? Are we making relational goals? There's a balance in life. True wealth has to look at every arena. You know, our lives are kind of compartmentalized in a sense, especially for men. It's like chain links put together. And if there's weak links in the chain, if we've neglected certain areas, the devil always attacks the weakest link. And you know that saying, the chain is as strong as its weakest link. So we want to pay attention to the foundation of what God is doing in our life, what he's prioritizing in our lives. Money's just one cut in the key. There's a lot of cuts we need to pay attention to. So remember, building wealth wisely, we must accurately define wealth. We must decide correctly what things we're going to treasure and what's going to go up for sale in my own life. And we got to build it slowly. There's no shortcuts. And finally, we got to invest in things that really that are going to bring us true wealth. The priority that are in scriptures when it comes to family and marriage and relationships, our own integrity and character that we're working on, our spiritual lives. Make deposits in those areas and you'll do well. 
Next week, when we talk about stewardship, uh, actually generosity, greed, there's two legs to it. There's actually generosity and stewardship. It's like some people nail one shoe to the floor. I'm really good at generosity. They just give everything away, but they're terrible stewards. <laughs> Waste everything. <laughs> they just kind of go in a circle. <laughs> or they'll, or they'll, they'll, they're great, they're great stewards, but they're not generous. They're just really tight. I mean, they hang on to everything, and they just kind of go in a circle. And uh, there's two, there's two legs God has given us so we can move forward. And there's stewardship, and there's generosity, and there's stewardship, and there's generosity. And they both work hand in hand. And throughout the scripture, God wants us to be responsible in both of those areas so we can grow in every area of our life, growing in the grace of giving. I believe growing in wealth so that we could build the kingdom. Because there's always going to be needs, just like we're pointed you this morning to the benevolence and gen benevolence fund. And to get to that need, God taps us. He taps us. And he expects us to steward well and to step up and to trust him to be the avenue and to be the conduit. He's going to tap us. Remember, everything we do with God, it's always a partnership. He invites us in to join him in what he wants to do. Needs are all around. And we see him. And God's tapping us. He's tapping his church. Say, hey. So next week's really important too. We'll move into that. Let's stand together. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. Let's take a moment for the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and the principles that are outlined. When it comes to a full-orbed life of gaining wealth, a lot of cuts in that key. A lot of things that you want to unlock in our future, Lord, but we need to not bypass what's really important when it comes to the foundational issues of our own life. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to really be mindful of what is not up for sale in our life. What really is of true value and worth that you can't put a dollar on. What legacy we want to leave for the next generation what we're storing up for heaven and eternity. Lord, these are important issues, the disciplines that you've called us to walk out and be responsible in them. I pray you'll help us, Lord, to be mindful of these in the days ahead. We will have a strong foundation so that we can hold and sustain everything that you're going to give us in the days ahead. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.